Welcome back to the Ask Pastor John podcast. Tim, a podcast listener, writes in to ask this. Pastor John, I always thought a complementarian view was the right view. But after seeing different churches go against this view, I ask, is there a biblical right or wrong view? And then he says 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 to 36, and 1 Corinthians 11, 2 to 16. More specifically, is God pleased with both a complementarian view and egalitarian view as long as we see Christ as our deepest joy and highest treasure? What advice do you have for people who have trouble answering this? In other words, is Christian hedonism only for complementarians? Several things come to my mind to say um, when I hear that cluster of questions. And the first is that I'm sure many of our listeners uh, don't know precisely what these two terms, complementarianism and egalitarianism, refer to. They're probably blurry. If they've heard of them at all, uh, they've heard different things. So I don't like fuzziness. <laughs> I don't like ambiguity. I, I don't want to talk about something that people don't know what he's talking about. So let's let's spend some time with definitions. Here's what I mean by complementarianism and egalitarianism. Complementarianism is a way of thinking and living that flows from the conviction that God created human beings as male and female, equal in worth, both in the image of God both heirs of the grace of life, both fully capable of direct allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, both fully redeemed from sin in Jesus, both destined for eternal joy and eternal significance as children of the creator of the universe, and that male and female are designed by God and appointed in his word for some distinct and complementary roles in life owing to the fact that they are male and female. That's where the word complementarian comes from. God intends for the differences between men and women to find expression in complementary relationships as taught in Scripture. For example, Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So complementarians read that, and we believe that God has designed husbands by virtue of being husbands, not wives, to be the head of the marriage and the home, and that this headship means at least bear the responsibility of a kind of leadership or initiative and bear a special sense of responsibility for protection and provision. And and wives, with their God-given strength and wisdom, come alongside their husbands and support that leadership. That's what submission means. And help their husbands carry it through. That's what help meet in the Genesis context means. Come alongside their husbands and help carry through their leadership as part of the overall dynamic of the family. So complementarians believe that this way of relating is not rooted in competencies, their presence or their absence. You've got competencies or you don't, irrelevant. But in the God-designed realities of manhood and womanhood. And complementarians believe 
that that uh, this God-given pattern glorifies Christ and his covenant-keeping relationship to his church, his bride, and that it leads to the greatest and longest joy. And complementarians believe that similarly in the church, God has designed for the men to be the overseers or elders or pastors with the responsibility of teaching and governing the local body of Christ as Christ led his disciples with servant-hearted initiative and vision and courage, which means as Christ-like examples to the flock. One of the main passages there that we look at is 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 14. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. In other words, the two functions Paul assigns to elders as distinct from other kinds of leaders in the church namely authority and teaching, he appoints to men, authority governing and and authoritative teaching in the church. And he roots this leadership in the order of creation and in the dynamics of the fall. Satan sidelined the man and drew the woman into the role of spokesman in the moment of, of crisis. He reversed the roles that God had intended. So, in summary, complementarians see God's design for our good in the complementary roles for men and women for leadership and submission in the home and a similar structure in the church. There's more to say, but that's the summary. Here's, Here's my definition of how I understand egalitarianism. Egalitarians, on the other hand, believe that in Christ, those kinds of sex-based role distinctions are done away with, and that the relationship between a husband and a wife should not assume that the husband's manhood implies any unique leadership role, or that a woman's womanhood implies any unique role of submission. Similarly, in the church, manhood and womanhood should not Male and female should not be a decisive part of the criteria by which leadership roles are assigned. And key passages for them would be Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Or Ephesians 5.21, an emphasis on the mutuality submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, and and so on. So with those two definitions in my mind now, I'm in a position as a complementarian to, to answer the, what, I think I, I saw three questions that were asked. Number one, is there a biblical right or wrong view? Answer, yes, there is. Of course, Things in real life are never quite as tidy as they are on paper, and many couples and churches probably get some things more or less right and some things more or less wrong in the application of complementarianism or egalitarianism. I'm sure my life has not been a perfect example of the biblical pattern either at home or at church, but there is a 
view that is true and right, and it's not good to relativize this whole thing by saying there's not. Number two, is God pleased with both a complementarian view and egalitarian view as long as we see Christ as our deepest joy and highest treasure? No, God is never pleased with a shortfall in one part of his word just because we excel in another part. This is important for all of us to realize, all of us, because all of us do fall short in some parts of God's instruction while succeeding at other parts, and those successes never justify the failures. Let me give just an example from the scriptures of what I what I mean. Paul uh, wrote to the Corinthians, and he began in chapter 1 with lavish praise. He said, uh, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that's been given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Wow, I would like to be such a beneficiary of that kind of praise. And in chapter 11, verse 17, he says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So if, if, we're, ta- if we're walking out of step with God's word in one area of our lives and in step with God's word in another area of our lives, we should never content ourselves thinking that God is so pleased with our obedience that he will also be pleased with our disobedience. Question number three, last one, I think. Um, Is Christian hedonism only for complementarians? No. Of course, a person who disagrees with me about complementarianism may agree with me about Christian hedonism. He won't flesh it out in all the same details of relational dynamics that I do, but the fundamental truths can be joyfully embraced. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Therefore, let us always pursue satisfaction in him and take as many people with us as we can, even if it costs us our lives. That's my summary of Christian hedonism. In in fact, uh, I would say one final thing. Every time any of us embraces any aspect of biblical truth, it can have a salutary, refining effect on the rest of what we believe. That is, it it will sooner or later exert uh, an influence toward truth in every area of our thinking and our living. That's the nature of the coherence of truth. At least that's the effect I hope it has on me. I hope that every refined or clarified or new truth that I embrace has the effect of correcting other areas of my life because of how truth is of a seamless fabric. So I would happily commend Christian hedonism to everyone, no matter what view of manhood and womanhood they hold. Amen. Thank you, Pastor John. That is balanced and humbling for complementarians and egalitarians alike. 
none of us is above repentance. Well, thank you for listening. For more details about this podcast or to catch up on past episodes we've released or to subscribe to the audio feed or even send us a question of your own, if you have a question, go to our online home at desiringgod.org forward slash ask Pastor John. Pastor John and I return on Friday to hear from a listener who wants to know when is the proper time for me to confront the sin patterns in my unbelieving friends. Wow. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. We'll see you on Friday.